law of self-defense content you are about to enjoy is presented for general educational purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice. If you are in need of legal advice, consult competent legal counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Welcome to our ongoing coverage of the Minnesota murder trial of Derek Chauvin over the in-custody death of George Floyd. I am attorney Andrew Branker for Law of Self-Defense, providing guest commentary and analysis of this trial for legal insurrection. As a reminder, I am live parlouring the trial in real time over at my parlour account, which you can find using my parlour handle at Law of Self-Defense. Now, this afternoon, we saw the court move through three additional prospective jurors, number 39, number 40, and number 41. Unfortunately, it quickly became apparent that each of these three jurors had deep-seated and emotional biases against defendant Chauvin. The first two attempted to pretend this was not the case, but were exposed by their responses to the juror questionnaire that they and all prospective jurors completed last year. And in the case of uh, prospective juror number 40, number 40, also by his social media posts, which were searched by the defense team, fortunately enough. Now, neither of these two, 39 or 40, could possibly have been allowed on the jury, uh, but they each professed to be fair and impartial, and so they had to be removed by the defense using peremptory strikes rather than for cause. As a result, the defense is now down to nine remaining peremptory strikes. After that, they can only exclude jurors for cause, which under the threshold established by this trial judge, Cahill, is very difficult to do. Prospective juror number 41, the third of today and the final prospective jurors of today, had as deep-seated a bias against Chauvin as the others, but I'll give her full credit for immediately and explicitly citing that bias the moment she came into court. So she was honest and praise for that. Less credit to Prosecutor Schleider, who actually tried to salvage this juror, number 41, by convincing her that despite her own protestations, she could surely be fair and impartial. Fortunately, he was unsuccessful. Because of her candor in announcing she could not be fair and impartial, number 41 was removed for cause and did not require the defense to burn another peremptory challenge. So let's take a closer look at prospective juror number 39, which was stricken by the defense. The first portion of the defense voir dire of prospective juror number 39, a male, was rather uneventful, except that the audio demeanor of 39 struck me as someone, as that of someone who was, frankly, rather stoned. Things came off the rails rather quickly, however, when defense counsel Nelson began referring to the juror questionnaire completed by number 39 late last year particularly in reference to questions around the bystander video of Floyd's death. Based on this video, 39 reported having formed a very negative opinion of Chauvin. And in that questionnaire, number 39 described his perception of the video of Floyd's death as, quote, it was an outrageous incident. Minneapolis Police Department needs to be completely rethought. Officers in the video were behaving more like an occupying military force than as police officers. Close quote. Prospect number 39 described Chauvin's conduct towards Floyd as showing a, quote, lack of respect for life. Close quote. As much as defense counsel Nelson was troubled by 39's comparing Chauvin's conduct to acts of war, it was equally troubling that number 39 seemed to expect the defense to prove Chauvin's innocence 
rather than acknowledging that Chauvin was presumed to be innocent until proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt by the state. When pressed by the defense, number 39 asserted that he could put his opinions aside for the trial, but these assertions were apparently rather lacking in credibility. The questionnaire also revealed that 39's wife had participated in Floyd demonstrations and had donated money to police reform policies. Although number 39 reported that he did not participate in these protest activities himself, this was only because he was working full-time. Were he not working, he likely would have participated, he said. When asked on the questionnaire to respond to the statement, police treat whites and blacks equally, number 39 strongly disagreed with that statement as well. When asked on the questionnaire about defunding the police, number 39 strongly agreed with that policy. When asked if he trusts the police, number 39 replied that he did, but only because he knew there were checks on the police and he trusted those checks, which sounds a lot like he trusts the checks and does not trust the police. Prospective juror number 39 also thought that Blue Lives Matter was rather silly because, after all, the police have guns. What do they need to be worried about? It was also notable that number 39 took an almost missionary zeal in serving on this jury. He told Nelson that he wanted to serve on the jury because he didn't want to be the kind of person who would look at himself in the mirror in the morning and have had been scared to serve. Again, number 39 adopted the position that he could imagine acquitting Chauvin if the defense proved him not guilty, the opposite of the presumption of innocence to which all defendants are entitled. Further, when pressed on whether he could be fair and impartial, number 39 asserted that he could, but that doing so would be painful. Ultimately, the defense was compelled to use a precious peremptory challenge to strike number 39 from the jury pool. Interestingly, after the defense exercised its peremptory challenge, the state raised a Batson challenge, alleging that the strike was based on race or ethnicity, although one wouldn't know it from the sound of number 39's voice, which came across as whiter than Wonder Bread, apparently number 39 self-identifies as Hispanic. Judge Cahill rejected this challenge from the state, however, noting that the defense had presented race-neutral grounds for the strike, and Judge Cahill also noted that at this point there had been six jurors chosen and of considerable racial diversity. They self-identified as three white, one Hispanic, one black, and one multiracial, suggesting there was no racial motivation behind the defense strikes. In any case, the voir dire of prospective juror number 39 is embedded in the text version of today's content. Let's take a look now at prospective juror number 40, who also had to be stricken by the defense. Prospective juror number 40, a male, described himself as a music teacher, albeit one unable to play a musical instrument, which I thought was odd. His voir dire also proceeded uneventfully until the defense started digging into his questionnaire and then further into his social media posts. This prospective juror also insisted early on and throughout that he could be a fair and impartial juror in this case. In his questionnaire, number 40 indicated uh, a negative opinion, very negative opinion of Chauvin. The basis for this negative opinion, well, he wrote in his questionnaire, quote, seeing the look on Chauvin's face on video 
and the other officers ignoring bystander cries to stop once Floyd was on the ground and subdued. Close quote. Number 40 described the continued restraint of Floyd by the officers as over the top and unnecessary. When the questionnaire asked for his opinion on Floyd, number 40 responded that he'd heard that Floyd was being arrested for having passed a bad bill, but, quote, he still shouldn't have been treated like that, close quote. Prospective juror number 40 then went on in his questionnaire response to write, quote, Floyd had a record, but didn't deserve to die like this by a cop who has a duty to protect, who ignored his pleas. Chauvin should have stopped and other officers should have intervened, close quote. When asked in his questionnaire about the property destruction and looting that took place in Minneapolis during the Floyd-related protests, number 40 blamed this destruction on the Boogaloo Boys rather than on Black Lives Matter and expressed a strong interest in systematic reform of the police. After a short break, court resumed and Nelson began asking number 40 about his social media post, which the defense had appropriately researched. Uh, the prospective juror tried to downplay his social media activity, but this was really the nail in the coffin that ought to have been the basis for removing number 40 for cause, but which compelled the defense to use a peremptory challenge. When asked about his social media post on Floyd, number 40 said he couldn't recall posting to social media about the Floyd death. It turned out he'd posted this, quote, I went to the site of the George Floyd Memorial at 38th in Chicago, where he was murdered. There was a mix of all sorts of people. There were people providing food and supplies for those in need, people crying, people sharing, hugging, laughing with each other. Holy ground. There was a time for prayer that lasted nine minutes. By the way, folks, that's the period of time in which Floyd was on the ground. Continuing, most knelt for that. Nine minutes is a long time. There is a groundswell for change. It was peaceful and beautiful and moving. Close quote. A fair and impartial juror indeed. But again, prospective juror number 40 insisted he could serve as a fair and impartial juror, which apparently is all that Judge Cahill needs to hear in order to compel the defense to burn another peremptory strike, which of course the defense did. In any case, again, the voir dire of prospective juror number 40 is embedded in the text version of today's content. And finally, we get to the third and last uh, prospective juror of today, number 41, uh, a female. Now, she was no less biased against Chauvin than were 39 and 40, but at least she was honest about it. Because of her candor, she was in court only about eight minutes before being dismissed for cause, although almost half that time involved Prosecutor Schleider trying to convince her that she was a reasonable juror for this trial. Almost the moment she enters the courtroom, number 41 tells Judge Cahill explicitly she does not believe she can bring impartiality to this case. Cahill informs her she could still be a juror despite her strongly held opinions against Chauvin if she can simply set that opinion aside for purposes of the trial. To her credit, she stands her ground in her belief that this would be extremely hard for her to do. When Judge Cahill explicitly asks her if she can be fair and impartial on this case, she answers directly in the negative, no. You'd think that would be all she wrote for number 41, but no, Prosecutor Schleider would love her on the jury, so he takes an opportunity to try to convince her to stay. Fortunately, she's not convinced. And when he directly asks her if she believes she can give the defendant a fair trial, she says she wishes she could, but she can't. 
Again, full points to number 41 for honesty. And with that, even Schleider gave up, and Judge Cahill dismissed her for cause. And that, folks, wraps up court for today. Proceedings are to continue tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Central Time. And of course, we'll continue to cover the case live on Parlor tomorrow and with blog posts appropriately here at Legal Insurrection and at Law of Self-Defense. So until tomorrow, I am attorney Andrew Branker for Law of Self-Defense, guest commenting for Legal Insurrection. Stay safe.